Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. It's a great blessing that we may be here again to join together in worship of our triune God. A hearty welcome to all of you who are present and also to those who have joined us via the live stream this afternoon. May the preaching of the gospel message direct our hearts and our minds in faith and trust to our Saviour Jesus Christ and cause us to live our lives to the praise of him. Consistory has as the following announcements. Reminder again that as of next week, the collections will return to being passed through the pews and this afternoon's service will be led by Reverend Pott from our sister church in Bunbury. Before we commence this service, let us sing together from Psalm 85, verse 3. and let us worship the Lord, our Maker. We confess our dependence on the Lord with the words of Psalm 124. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Congregation, receive God's greeting. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us sing together praise of our God and the joy of worshipping with our fellow saints using Psalm 16 verse 1.
Together with the Church of all times and of all places, let us confess our Catholic undoubted Christian faith with the words of the Apostles' Creed. Let each of you believe in your heart and confess with your lips, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he arose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe a holy Catholic church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's now continue singing from Psalm 16. This afternoon we're giving attention to what we believe and confess in Lord's Day 17 about the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ and also how that points forward to our glorious resurrection. And Psalm 16 is quoted by the Apostle Peter in Acts 2 and he refers to the portions of scripture that we'll be singing from and explains that these are a prophecy about the resurrection of Christ. So when we sing those words of verse 5, my body rests secure in your protection, you will not leave me down in dark Sheol, nor let your Holy One there see corruption, we can think of how our Savior was risen and how one day we too will be risen. Psalm 16 verses 4 and 5.
let us humble ourselves before God in prayer. Our almighty God and heavenly Father, you, our Lord, are the God who is the author and creator of life. In the very beginning, you created life by your word. And when as a result of the fall and disobedience of our first parents, the human race was plunged into sin and death, you came with your word of promise and with the gospel of life. And you work that life by the power of your word and by the power of your Holy Spirit. And so, Father, we gratefully acknowledge that the faith that we have is a gift from you and that it is a result of your grace in us. Lord, by nature, we would remain in death. If not for your grace to sin us, we would not have life. And so we thank you, Father, that the fact that we believe, the fact that we may make our confession according to your word, that this is proof of the work of resurrection, of new life that you work in the hearts of sinners. Lord, we thank you too that this afternoon as we reflect on your word, we may consider some aspects of the fullness of the riches of life that you intend for your people. We may ponder and consider from your word the significance of the life that our Savior rose to on the third day and also the implications of this for us as your people. Father, we pray that your gospel of life may be a source of encouragement and joy to us. Be with us as we're gathered here in worship be with those who are not able to attend and are following via live stream. We pray, Heavenly Father, that as the gospel of life is proclaimed to us, that we may be built up and, most importantly, that you may be praised for your generosity and your goodness and your grace to sinners. Hear us, O Lord, for Christ's sake alone. Amen. Let us take our Bibles and we will read from God's word from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This afternoon we are giving attention to God's word as it is summarized and confessed in the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 17. And we'll especially be focusing on how Christ's resurrection is a sure pledge of our glorious resurrection. And so we'll read about the resurrection of Christ and how this is also a pledge of our glorious resurrection as the Apostle Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We'll begin reading with verse 12 through 23. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 12. Now if... Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead. How can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. 
And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. We'll then continue with verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. The glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars for star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. So far our scripture reading. Let us in response to God's word and in preparation for the proclamation of his word, sing from Psalm 73, a psalm in which we sing about our confidence that even though our flesh, our, our earthly bodies may fail, that our confidence and joy is in God. Psalm 73 verse 8.
This afternoon we're giving our attention to God's word as summarized and confessed by the church in Lord's Day 17. And here we make our confession according to God's word as follows. How does Christ's resurrection benefit us? First, by his resurrection he has overcome death so that he could make us share in the righteousness which he had obtained for us by his death. Second, by his power we too are raised up to a new life. Third, Christ's resurrection is to us a sure pledge of our glorious resurrection. And this afternoon we'll especially be focusing on that last part, how Christ's resurrection is a sure pledge of our glorious resurrection. In response to the proclamation of God's word, we'll sing from a hymn that is based on the passage we read earlier, 1 Corinthians 15, hymn 68. We'll sing the first four verses, verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, how's your body going? Have you been sick? Many have in recent weeks and months, and perhaps even there are some at home who, as a result of illness, are not able to be here. How's that affected you? Are you back at 100% health? Or perhaps are you experiencing lingering effects? Have you maybe had to deal with physical ailments already for years? Or perhaps as you reflect on your age that you realize that realistically more than half of your life is behind you and less than half is ahead of you and you see your body wearing out. Scripture speaks about the human body like a tent, a tent in which we dwell, but a tent that wears out. And for some of us, that's a reality. We get older and we start to see more and more that parts of our body, our mind no longer work as well as they used to. How are you dealing with that? Now, brothers and sisters, these may seem somewhat strange questions for a minister to ask. How is it going with your body? Aren't ministers to be concerned with the soul? Isn't that what the church is about? Our soul. And certainly the Bible gives great attention to our hearts, our spirit, our mind. But if we look at the totality of the word of God, it becomes evident that the human body is important to the Lord God. In the beginning, he created Adam and Eve with a human body. It's significant. The Lord Jesus Christ had to become man. That's the whole point of the incarnation. He had to have a real human body. That's important. 
With the article of the Apostles' Creed that we're looking at this afternoon, we're concerned with the resurrection of Christ. That's also about his body. In fact, the Apostles' Creed mentions resurrection, resurrection of the body, twice. Resurrection of Jesus, the resurrection of our body. And they're connected. And we see that connection here in this Lord's Day. It's clear then that the body matters to the Lord. And what we believe about the body, and what we believe about Jesus' body, and what we believe about our bodies, and what's happening to them now as they wear out, or as we're sick, and what will happen to them is going to make a difference for how we deal with the afflictions of the flesh. It's going to make a difference for how we deal with sicknesses and diseases and how even we deal with getting older. We're comforted by the full gospel which includes God's blessing for us, body and soul. For we belong to Jesus Christ, body and soul. And so I proclaim to you God's word using this theme, Christ's resurrection is a sure pledge of our glorious resurrection. And we'll consider firstly the basis, secondly the nature, and thirdly the comfort of this resurrection. So Christ's resurrection is a sure pledge of our glorious resurrection. Firstly, the basis of what we confess here. Now the message of the New Testament scriptures and the proclamation of the gospel, which the apostles announced through their preaching, was very different from the popular thinking of the time among the ancient Greeks. According to Greek thinking, all that really mattered about you, said many philosophers of the age, is your soul. Your body is just a prison. And a very common idea about the soul according to many Greek philosophers, was that the soul was immortal. It's always existed. It always will exist. But for a time, it's, it's stuck in this prison of the human body. And that's a nuisance. And so with this Greek thinking, death was seen as something positive. To, to die, to, that meant you were free from your body at last. It was a liberation from from a prison. Now in contrast to that view of Greek philosophy, the, the biblical view is, is much richer. Yes, the soul is important. But first of all, we would say the soul is not eternal. Not inherently that our souls have always existed. No, our souls have come into existence together with our body at the moment that the Lord created us and called us into being. The soul will continue to exist, but it has a most definite beginning. But there's a more important difference between the teachings of Scripture and that of ancient Greek philosophy, and that is God didn't just create your soul. He created you with a body. And that's important. The body as he designed it in the beginning was phenomenal. 
And when you look at a newborn child, let's say things are going well with baby, that baby is phenomenal. All these living systems and how they work together and how God has designed this with such incredible wisdom. That is God's intention for mankind, that we exist, body and soul. And that's why the message of the gospel is something that also affects the body. To be our savior, to be our substitute, our Lord Jesus Christ, that to take on true human nature, body and soul, a real human body, a real human soul, and to be our substitute, that's what he did. What's the effect of the fall into sin? Well, the effect of the fall into sin has an impact on both body and soul. In the beginning, God had said to Adam and Eve, the day that they would eat the forbidden fruit, the punishment is, you will surely die. And that death has implications for both body and soul. It has the implication that we now, as a result of Adam and Eve's sin, are are born into spiritual death. We are conceived and born in sin. We are under the curse of death. We deserve God's punishment of eternal death. Uh, But this punishment also has an impact on the body. All of a sudden, things come into the world that were not there before the fall. Death, but also all the things leading to death. The sufferings, the sicknesses, the limitations, the handicaps, the way that we, our health is affected in body and mind, all of these things are a result of the fall into sin. God said to Adam in the beginning that as a result of the fall, that he would return to the dust. Ecclesiastes 12 describes death as as the dust returns to the ground from which it came and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Part of the effect of the fall means that our bodies are not permanent tents that have an eternal guarantee. Not, Not this one, not the one you're in. It's going to wear out. And unless Christ comes back, the day will come it wears out and your soul leaves your body, and your body is buried. Now, if Jesus is our mediator, how does his work then impact all of this? Well, if we consider the the totality of his work, we see that his work has significance for both body and soul. It is in his body and in his soul that he experiences the horrendous wrath of God in a way that we can't even comprehend. There's physical anguish. There's emotional anguish. There's spiritual anguish. And that includes physical death. He was crucified. He died. Real death. But our confession doesn't end there. In the Apostles' Creed, we also confess that on the third day, he arose from the dead. 
Here is a miracle just as amazing as the miracle in the beginning of God creating life. Here we see the power of God at work. On the third day, our Lord Jesus Christ escapes the bondage of death. He overcomes death. And as a result, as the catechism says, he has overcome death and can make us share in the righteousness which he has obtained for us by his death. His resurrection proves that that sin has been overcome. And now instead of the death in body and soul that has affected all of mankind for God's people, there is now life, spiritual life in our hearts, as the Catechism says, by his power, we too are raised to a new life, but also life in the future and life for our bodies. Now, our soul begins to enjoy this life immediately at the moment that our earthly task is done. Think of the parable of the rich man and and Lazarus. We're told that when Lazarus dies, the angels carry him to Abram's side. His soul is immediately in heavenly bliss. And this is why in passages like Philippians 1, the Apostle Paul says he's not afraid to die. He says it's gain. It's better by far. It means to depart and be with Christ. And in 2 Corinthians 5... He speaks about death as being away from the body and at home with the Lord. That's part of our comfort. When we die, our soul is with the Lord. But what we're considering this afternoon is is the totality of the salvation package. Christ doesn't merely come to redeem our souls from prison. He has come to rescue us Body and soul. Remember, Lord's Day 1. What's your only comfort in life and death? I belong with body and soul. And that means that when your Savior comes, your body is going to also receive the benefits of, of the victory that he accomplished, not just by dying, but by being risen from the dead. Now, when our Savior comes, all of mankind is going to have to appear before him and all the bodies of all those who have ever lived will be raised. They're not all going to be raised to glory and to joy and life, but they will all be raised. Because our Lord Jesus Christ has the power of life. In John 5, our Savior said that a time is coming when all those in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who've done good will rise to live. Those who've done evil will rise to be condemned. So there's a resurrection to life and there's a resurrection to judgment. And no one will escape. In Revelation 20, we also read about books, the book of life, and... We read how the dead are judged. We're told the sea gave up the dead that were in it. And death and Hades, hell, gave up the dead that were in them. Each person was judged according to what he had done. So for unbelievers, that means that when the Savior returns, for them, there's a new level of punishment. 
Ready now? Just like in that parable of Luke 16, that rich man is in torment already now. Those who've rejected Christ are in torment. But on the last day, there's a new layer of torment. Now their torment is body and soul. Whereas for believers, their, their joy, their salvation also receives a, a new level. Now their life is body and soul. And it's important to notice how the Bible mentions this in numerous places. The resurrection of the dead is presented for believers as a, as a comfort, something to, to encourage us as we're living in this broken world where our bodies wear out and we get sick and we die. A very clear example of that is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And there the apostle appeals to the doctrine of the resurrection in a very positive way and as an encouragement. He even says, encourage one another with these words. And we get the impression from this letter from 1 Thessalonians that the believers in that church, they, they had a clear sense, the Lord Jesus is coming back. They, they got that. They were looking forward to that. And they knew that when Jesus Christ came back, everything would be made new and things would be perfect for them. If you're alive. But their question was, what about if you've died? Are you going to miss out? And it's in 1 Thessalonians 4 where the apostle gives a very clear answer to that question. Because we know from other places like 1 Corinthians 15, we, we read part of that chapter. That chapter has more to say about the resurrection. It also is the chapter that speaks about the people who are alive when Jesus returns. They'll be changed in the twinkling of an eye. So that means at the moment the Lord Jesus Christ comes back, if, if, if you're alive at that moment, your body is instantly transformed into a glorious body. But the question for the Thessalonians is, what if, if you're not alive? Well, says the Apostle Paul in that chapter, don't worry. Don't worry because, verse 14 of chapter 4, we believe that since Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So do you see the connection between the two resurrections? Jesus died, Jesus rose. In the same way, if you've died, you will rise. We often think about the return of Christ. And we, in our minds perhaps, imagine in some way our Savior returning on the clouds of heaven. That's biblical. That's good. That is the focus. But have you ever considered the fact that when Jesus Christ comes back, he is not coming alone? Again, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Chapter four. It says God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So in other words, people who have died and have been buried... They're not going to be somehow worse off because they have died. Paul says there, we declare to you by word from the Lord that 
we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Why? Why will you not be of an advantage if you're alive? Well, here's the apostolic answer. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. Here, again, it's, it's the voice of God that's doing everything. What will happen? The dead in Christ will rise first. You see the connection? Jesus Christ rose. What's going to happen on the last day? Those who've died in Christ will rise. The first thing that will happen on that great and last day. And so it means then that the basis for all the comfort that we have is directly connected to the resurrection of Christ himself. There's this close connection between Jesus being risen and his body, his church being resurrected. We find that connection here in 1 Thessalonians 4. We found it in 1 Corinthians 15. If we're part of Christ, then we share in his life-giving work for our soul and for our body. Jesus Christ, says 1 Corinthians 15, is the first fruits. That means his resurrection, his body, is, is the beginning of, of an entire harvest. And we will see that harvest on the last day. As all those who believed in Christ are resurrected to glory. So if this is the basis for it, what is then the nature of this resurrection? Our second point. Because the idea of resurrection leaves some rather skeptical. How is it possible? If somebody has died, how can they come back to life? How could that happen for Jesus? Well, the answer is, it's the power of God. Well, says the skeptic, but that's one thing for Jesus. Even if we were to accept that he was in the grave a short time, what about someone who has been buried hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago? How's God going to scrape together all the, the bones and the dust, and the leftovers of someone's body and, and make it alive again? Is that possible? What about, what about if someone was completely incinerated? What about if they were consumed by wild animals? Now, these are questions that we need an answer to. In the end, we don't have to fully explain all aspects of the resurrection. It's simply enough to echo what the Bible says. God is God. And this will happen by the power of God and by the power of Jesus Christ. God raised the body of the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. By this act, our Lord Jesus Christ, God himself overcomes death. And if the Lord God can do that, then... Certainly, he can raise anyone he wishes from the dead. No matter where they are, no matter how long ago they've been buried, no matter how far and why their ashes have been scattered, or no matter how many ashes are left, if any. If the Lord God can create an entire universe out of nothing, then for him, this is no problem. Don't worry about it. 
It's enough for us to know that this resurrection is connected with the power of Christ's resurrection. And that's why in those verses I read earlier from 1 Thessalonians 4, it, it connects the dead being raised with that command in the voice of an archangel, in the trumpet. In John 5, it says that the dead will come from the grave when, when they hear his voice. Remember when Lazarus is in the tomb, he's dead. Jesus announces himself as the resurrection and the life. And the Bible tells us something about the way it happens. Jesus calls out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. It's the power of God. It's the voice of God that produces this life. But not only does the Lord Jesus have, have the power of this resurrection, the Bible also makes it clear that his resurrected body is, is now the model for our resurrected body. And that's highlighted in several instances. Philippians 3 says that Christ will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. Colossians 3 that says that when Christ appears, we will appear with him in glory. 1 John 3 says that when he appears, we will be like him. So even though there's a lot of things we don't know about that resurrection body, there are some things that we do know. Because we do know a thing or two about Jesus Christ's glorious body. For example, we know it was a real human body. He was seen. He was touched. He ate. He drank. And even though his followers did not immediately recognize him in every instance, immediately there, there were even marks on his body that at least during the, the 40 days prior to his ascension into heaven, these gave them assurance that this was the same human body. So what does that mean for us? It means that there is a connection between the resurrected body of the last day and the body that you're in right now. They're not going to be totally unrelated. 1 Corinthians 15 uses the image of sowing a seed. And that's what happens at a funeral when you bury a body. It's an important image. Burial. It's like sowing a seed. You sow carrot seed. You don't expect peas to come up. No, the seed that is sown, there's a connection between what is sown and what comes up. What comes up is different than the seed. It looks different, but there's a common element. And so in that sense, your resurrection body is going to be connected with the one that you have right now. But the Bible especially emphasizes not so much the, the similarities, but the differences. We read from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where there's an extensive series of contrasts between the body that is sown in the ground and the body that is raised. We read there how the body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It's sown in dishonor. 
It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It is raised in power. And again, there's the connection between Christ's resurrection and our resurrection. The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, just as like we are, like Adam, with our bodies, so we shall bear the image of the man of heaven. We will be glorified as Christ is. Now, there are things about this resurrected body that we do not have answers to. But what we do know is it's going to be immortal. That means it cannot die. There's going to be no sickness. There's going to be no, no wearing out of this tent. It's going to be a tent that will be forever. And it's going to be amazing. It is going to be glorious. It's going to be far beyond what we can even imagine. And the Bible reveals this to us as, as a comfort also for us in the present as we live in this fallen world. Because your perspective on what happens in the afterlife is going to impact how you live your life right here. If you think that this life is all that there is to life, then when things go wrong with your body, that's a disaster. If you get COVID for a few weeks and you're out of action for a while, well, that's a nuisance because there are things you want to do and maybe you want to go on holidays and you can't do that. And if you get sick or maybe if you, your body wears up prematurely, you get cancer, other things go wrong, that's a disaster because, well, this is all there is to life. But if you believe in the resurrection of the body, that changes how you deal with the wearing out of your tent here and now. And when you look in the mirror and you see wrinkles, a growing number, growing sizes maybe, you see increased gray hair, and you start to wonder, well, am I on the other side? Have I, have I lived more of my life? Is there more behind me than what's ahead? then when you're a Christian, instead of having a midlife crisis and panicking and quickly whipping out a bucket list and trying to find as many things that you can do to tick off before it's all worn out while you can, instead you have real comfort. Because you know that you're going to get a new body. And this is a comfort when you're struggling with ailments of the flesh. And there are lots of them. It might be hormonal imbalances. It might be problems with your weight or with your hearing. It might be problems with your joints and arthritis. It might be that your heart's not in the best of condition. Maybe you get anxious. Maybe your mind is disturbed. Maybe your memory's failing. You know what? In the new heaven and new earth none of those things will be a problem. This is the greatness of the salvation God intends for his people and wants us to think about as what our Savior has accomplished by rising from the dead into glory. You belong to him in body and soul. Your body is his as well. He will 
in grace give glory, body and soul. How can you be sure of this? Well, 2 Corinthians 5 tells us that God gives a guarantee. And the guarantee that God gives of the glorious body is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God's down payment. That's the language of 2 Corinthians 1 and Ephesians 1. It's God's guarantee. It's his down payment. It's his deposit. Because the Holy Spirit is life. And when you see that life now, that's the guarantee of the fruit that's going to come. And that brings us to the comfort of this resurrection. Because all this should not be an abstract theoretical doctrine, but rather the Lord has has revealed this rich reality so the church can actively draw comfort and encouragement from this. There is a multitude of blessings we have in the here and now. And the Christian always has reason for joy in Christ and can be content in Christ. Even on the day of disaster, even on the day where the earthly tent is really becoming dysfunctional. But at the same time, the Lord wants us to realize that the salvation he's graciously giving is so much larger than that. We can look ahead to the age to come. God has specifically revealed these things to us. To lift up our heads when we get weighed down and we look in the mirror and things aren't working the way we should and we are doing the best we can but our body's just not as healthy as we would like. The Lord encourages us with this rich reality that the life we, we have a taste of now is it's going to multiply, it's going to increase. Death is indeed a gain. Death is being with the Lord Jesus Christ. Death is glory for those who've gone ahead of us and are with Christ. And if we die before Christ comes, yes, at that moment, there is great glory. That's biblical. That's good. And we think about that, right? But do you think about what's happening on the last day as well? Do you think about the glorious body that your Savior is going to give you? Think about that next time you're going to the dentist. Or next time you're going to the optometrist or going to the doctor. This body is going to share in some of the glory of our Savior's body on the last day. Your body is not some prison that you just have to live in and deal with. No. What God has intended for you is glory that will increase on the last day. Your hope in the future is is not to to escape from a tired old body and escape from this world and float on a cloud in eternity with a bodiless existence. Your eternal future is not simply to, to join the disembodied spirits of Christians who've gone ahead. It's good, but it's temporary and going to get better. Jesus Christ's resurrection proves it and is the beginning of it. 
Brothers and sisters, we do get discouraged, don't we, when our bodies don't always work the way that we would like. And we can get depressed about our bodies, their size, their shape. Maybe sometimes we wish we couldn't see our body or parts of it, or maybe there wasn't as much to see, or that we could change it. Others try to spend all kinds of effort trying to get the shape and the size exactly right. Watching the food they eat, going to the gym, checking the mirror carefully, using all kinds of creams. Well, in the end, all the aging products in the world cannot prevent the ultimate result. It will always, in the end, be a losing battle. But the good news is, your body is important to your Savior. He had a body and rose with that body in glory. And in eternity, your body will be risen in glory. And so on the one hand, you shouldn't give your body too little attention. You need to be a steward of it. It belongs to your Savior. Look after it. Be sensible with it. Don't be risky. Don't be foolish. But on the other hand, don't give it too much attention. Don't get discouraged when things go wrong. Your comfort is you belong with body and soul to your faithful Savior. The day is coming where we will be truly healthy. Healthy like we've never been before. In this life, we, we never have perfect health. Even on our best day, we're always susceptible to bugs and sicknesses and diseases and we're in the middle of aging. But what comes ahead is an eternity of glory. Our comfort is that we have a Savior who shows us such wonderful grace that it includes this element of our salvation. How gracious is our God. We're going to spend an eternity giving him praise for all the rich benefits that he gives us. And so let us now, as long as God gives us in the earthly tent of our bodies, seek to serve him and to please him and to give him all the honor. Amen. Let's now, in response, sing from hymn 68. This is a hymn based on 1 Corinthians 15. We'll sing the verses 1, 2, 3, and 4.
Let us call on God's name in prayer. Our heavenly God and Father, we approach your throne on high through the work of our Savior, Jesus Christ, knowing that even now, Father, he is at your right hand, interceding for us as our sympathetic and merciful high priest, that he rose from the dead with his body, that he ascended into heaven with his body, and that he rules heaven and earth and all creatures, and that he will return with his body. Lord, we praise you that in him we see something of the glory of life, of your glory, and of the life that you also freely give to us. Lord, we don't deserve that. We deserve to be rejected and to experience death with all its horrors. And so we are humbled, amazed, and grateful for your grace to us as sinners. Lord, we also acknowledge that it isn't easy living in tents that wear out. And Father, it can be a great burden when we're often sick. For Lord, we have bodies that are very much prey to illness and destruction, bodies that are weak and mortal. It affects our bodies, Lord. It affects our minds. Some of us have physical handicaps, mental handicaps, physical, physical health concerns. And Father, we acknowledge that we're not always good at dealing with that. It's hard for us. And so we pray that you will encourage us. Help us, Father, above all, that as long as you give us in the earthly tent of our bodies, you will work mightily in us by your spirit, that we may honor you, and that the spiritual life you give may be evidence through our conduct and that we may give you glory for the blessing of salvation you give us. Use our lives, Father, in whatever it is that you have ordained for us, including what you have ordained concerning our health, by your spirit, you will help us to serve you, to resist temptation, and to live in a way that brings you glory. But Father, we also look forward to the day of resurrection. And we pray for that day to come. We pray for our Savior to return, for the day where those who are alive will be glorified in a wondrous transformation. And those who died in Christ will be resurrected to life. Lord, we pray that that day may come soon, where all of your people will experience the full blessings of salvation and also, Father, and most importantly, where we will give you the full glory that your name deserves. And so lift up our heads. Bless us also in the new week, Father, as we continue to serve you. We do not know what lies ahead. We do not know what burdens we may have to carry, what obstacles may confront us. But we pray above all that by your spirit, you would help us seek the things that are above, to look upward to our Savior and to look forward to the glory that is to come. We pray, Heavenly Father, so carry us with your spirit and bring about the return of our Savior. We humbly pray it all for his name alone. Amen.
since our Savior is at God's right hand and in glory, it's fitting that we also bring him our tribute in the form of our financial gifts. The collection is for the South African needy churches, and you have opportunity to give your gifts at the door or electronically. Let us, in conclusion, sing the remaining part of hymn 68. We'll sing the verses 5, 6, 7, and 8. Receive the blessing of our God and King with the words of number six and depart in peace. The Lord bless you 
and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.